Do Chinooks have autopilot? Which part would you really not want to go wrong mid-air? And where does the famous waka waka sound actually come from? To find out, the Royal Air Forces Association's airmail talks to the engineers and personnel with first-hand experience of working on and in the Chinook over the last 40 years. One of the first things we did was we were involved in getting the Chinooks when they came from Boeing in the US. And they came by ship and they came on the Atlantic-class container vessels, one of which was the Atlantic conveyor. But we used to go to Southampton or to Liverpool, drive up on a Sunday night, and on the Monday this aircraft would be there. Sometimes there'd be one, sometimes there'd be three. Remembers technician Chris Cottrell of the early Chinooks that were shipped in pieces to the UK. Chris who served with the RAF from 1977 to 1986, worked on the Chinook build team, which assembled the helicopters on Liverpool and Southampton docks when they arrived from the Boeing factory in the United States. I think the most memorable thing is they were re always reluctant to start because they hadn't been, the engines hadn't been run for ages. And they smell of paraffin, that's the fuel of kerosene is paraffin. And they smelled no different to your camping stove when they start up. There's that sort of woof they'd make. And they didn't have um, polyvalent intakes or any of those clever things on them. So they would blow massive blue smoke rings out the back of them and all that nonsense because they were, they just hadn't started for ages. They'd been on a ship for five days and on a train or whatever to get across the US to, um, to the East Coast. Yeah, it was, it was a, they were quite a thing. As well as assemble the aircraft, Chris and the rest of the build team had to Europeanize the compass system to ensure it showed the right longitude and latitude. Flying was rarely a smooth experience in the UK. They do vibrate a lot. Behind the instrument panel and under the pilot's seat, there's a mass balance device, which actually physically swings the other way to the aircraft's vibrations. Otherwise, it's basically, you, know, you can't see the instruments and the pilots will vibrate so much they can't fly it properly. But I think I would describe it, as, the only way to describe it is it's a bit like traveling by concrete mixer. These vibrations also have an effect on the aircraft itself, as attested by Tony Barker former Warrant Officer Engineering with 27 Squadron and now Sustainment Engineer with the Chinook Delivery Team. It is effectively million parts rattling around in, in the sky and things work their way loose. You know, they, they do over time. So we do our best to damp that vibration out and tune it out. With so many pressures acting on the Chinook, is there one component in particular that frequently needs fixing? Landing lamp bulbs more often than not, and very topical, that we, we have a lot of problems with the wiper system. They're not used all through the summer, and then when it starts raining, they start switching them on, the, the motors burn out now and again. And is there a part of the Chinook you really don't want to go wrong mid-air? You've got all that aircraft hanging off that Jesus nut at the top there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. in there, there's a nut, it must be, what? 6,000 pounds feet it's torqued down to. Yeah, it's, it's an absolute piece of a nut, which I reckon it is 10, 12 inches across this nut. Yeah, yeah. Just to give you a bit of maintainer humour, it's that is known as the Jesus nut. So if it comes undone, oh, Jesus, you know, it's, so, so, but yeah, that hub nut is effectively what holds the head on. Despite the niggles, the Chinook is an incredibly advanced aircraft, with modern developments in technology adding to its effectiveness. It's extraordinarily capable, says Martin, 
a former flight commander with 18B Squadron, Chinook desk officer with the MOD, a Gulf War veteran, and former officer commanding 7 Squadron. So, if anyone's qualified to speak about the Chinook's capabilities, it's him. The power gives it this ability to manoeuvre, which people see at air shows. Because it's big, it's assumed to be lumbering. You see a sports car, small, tiny, highly manoeuvrable, you assume. Big truck, can't move. It's different in helicopters. It's power that makes helicopters manoeuvrable. And the Chinook has a power-to-weight ratio that's almost unrivaled. The image of the Chinook as a powerful yet technically complex aircraft is one shared by squadron leader Sam Hodgkinson of 28 Squadron's Chinook flight. They are hugely more complicated in terms of controls, gearboxes and hydraulics than a normal aircraft. There are lots of different components, both mechanical and electrical, all working in sync to keep the thing airborne. They use the same principles of flight, but in a slightly different fashion to a fixed wing aircraft. With a helicopter, the rotor blade is essentially the wing, so you're driving it through the air. Unlike fixed wing though, it's not clean air, as each of the Chinook's six blades are passing through the air which the previous blade has just gone through, which makes things more complicated. With such factors at play, is it even technically possible for helicopters to have such aids as autopilot? Yes. Though autopilot is the civilian term, we use Automatic Flight Control System, or AFCS, which does two things. Firstly, it feeds minor inputs into the controls to help with stability. Secondly, it gives you holds, so it will fly you at a certain height or speed. The new technology is increasing capability. Uh, we recently got something called DAFCS, with the D standing for digital. And this gives us far more in the way of holds. There's positional hold, where the aircraft itself will hold a hover. It can also maintain a height and fly a low-speed flight envelope. This looks like a gentle manoeuvre, but is performed via the DAFCS. Another feature of the Chinook is its robustness. I did two tours in the Falklands. I did, was in the war, and I went down in 1984 on my second tour. Recalls Chris Cottrell. And one of them had a um, blade strike from its um, underslung load. So they were carrying a container. It was about 110 feet long, I think it was, this thing hanging down. The aircraft was going along, and then all of a sudden the end of it snapped off and it went over the top of the aircraft, through all the blades, round the tunnel and round the front head. And the crew landed it on Victory Green in Stanley. The Chinook's ability to carry on regardless has its genesis in the design stage. The fuel tanks had fire suppressants, so if a bullet were to hit the fuel tank, it has self-sealing tanks. Says Martin Sharp. If you crash land, the tanks break off, and break away and self-seal so as not to burn the whole aircraft. Most of the control systems are duplicated. There's only a few very isolated points where the, the hydraulic systems come very close together. So you could have bullets go through all sorts of areas. The blades can take great chunks out of them and they still continue to function. It could fly successfully on one engine at most weights. So when you get very heavy, then you need both, both engines. If you were to lose fuel system on one side, the other side can cross-feed to feed both engines. However, perhaps the most recognisable feature of the Chinook is the sound. So what exactly does cause the distinctive and much-loved Waka Waka? It comes from the compression of the air between the two overlapping rotor discs, says Sam Hodgkinson. But the really weird thing is that you don't hear it when you're in the aircraft. Not at all. It's masked by the internal noise, 